Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave and Becky. On today's show, we preview the 2021-22 season, which gets underway Wednesday night in Washington. We'll react and maybe overreact to the projected opening night uh, lineup and roster choices. And we welcome in a special guest, Jack Frazier, a.k.a. J Fresh Hockey, to give us his projections for the NHL season, where he thinks the Rangers will finish, and what he thinks of the Mika Zibanejad contract extension. Dave and Becky, how are we doing here just 24-ish hours from the start of a new Rangers hockey season? I am fantastic. I have a brand new love for the New York Rangers because they are the most phenomenal trolls I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, I need them to like do a masterclass on how to troll an entire fan base because, well done. Just that was well impressive. That, that Yeah, that, they did a great job. Well, you're referring to the captaincy thing oh, with hell the six yes. alternates? Yeah. Oh, yes. or, or the lineup, because the lineup's kind of a troll job. Too. Well, I mean, no, but everything. the lineup here is... Yeah, so I mean, like, the line... I don't know if we want to start here, but the lineup, like, okay, we all know this is going to be the Tom Wilson face-punching game, and then, like, our true season's going to start on Thursday. So, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, let's start, though, with uh, the big news from Sunday, which, of course, was the Mika Zibanejad contract extension. Um, we all had have had plenty of time to sort of digest it. Um, I think the broad sentiment, even though, you know, again, just picking my head up out of hockey Twitter, Ranger Twitter, um, the broad sentiment is, is pretty much happiness across a, a wide swath of the fan base. This is a beloved player, a 40-goal scorer, um, the kind of guy you want on your team. And uh, so, so obviously positive vibes all around, but I think there are some pros and cons. And I think it is, you know, the way the contract is structured in terms of years, obviously the Rangers get a little bit of a deal on the cap hit at 8.5 million a year, but, you know, let's just kind of dig into those pros and cons. I mean, you know, uh, Becky, let's start with you. You know, what are your overall thoughts on the, on the Mika extension? I'm really grateful that they did it before the season started, because I think that that's going to be how you're going to get the most out of the player without, having this like annoying aura of like asking the question after every game, how about the contract negotiations? Are you going to extend? Is he going to be traded? Like, I do really think that that kind of distraction won't be there. I'm obviously happy, but I'm also like, everyone knows like Mika's my favorite player. I think he's electric. I think he's so fun to watch. Anytime he's on the ice, something crazy can happen. And I don't like maybe Maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't really care. Like, I, I don't want to read into, like, the analytics. I don't want to get my, like, super thoughtful cap on right now. Like, I was just happy that they extended my favorite player. And I haven't really digested in a, into, like, I haven't digested the how is this going to affect the team down the road piece of it yet. I do think it does send a pretty strong message that, like, we're going to win you know like we're going to win now we've got like our core guys locked up um i just think that they're going to win i don't know i that's that's all i got for you right now not a lot of not a lot of content there just a lot of words i'm happy dave so i wrote on this this morning or if you're listening to this on tuesday yesterday morning 
and obviously got immediately buried by everything else the Rangers did to troll us. But Becky's right. They're win- They're going to win now. And I understand the freakouts of the age 35 and 36 seasons for the Zibanejad contract. But the Rangers don't care right now. And they know they have to win while Artemi Panarin is still Artemi Panarin. And while you still have Kako and Lafreniere on relatively cheap deals and Fox on even his next contract, which is going to be probably $9 million, that's still cheap for him. So they have to go for it. They had to turn the page and go for it. We know that when that happens, we wind up with a trade where we give up a little bit too much for Eric Stahl on the bad end of things, or we give up a a little bit too much for, say, Marty St. Louis. And that wound up being a great trade, because look what happened to Ryan Callahan after that. Uh, And in the case of Zibanejad and also Barclay Goudreau, the contracts, the back end of these years, six, seven, eight for Zibanejad, might be a little bit rough. And... It is what it is. If the Rangers win twice in the next five years, nobody's going to give a shit about the back end of the contract. The goal is to win in the next five years, at least once. So this is what they're doing. They're going for it. And I have no problem with that. I think there are some yeah. Twitter warriors who might have a real problem with them oh, only winning twice oh, in the next five years. Fuck the Twitter warriors. Really, like, uh, like as much as yeah. I like to like, stir some shit up on Twitter, and this is definitely going to be an explicit podcast this week, uh, uh, I'm getting really sick of everything being the sky is falling. Oh my God, we signed Barclay Gudra. Oh my God, Ryan Reeves is on the opening night roster. Oh my God, Jared Tenorti made it over Niels Lundqvist. Niels Lundqvist, sorry. It's one game, and it's very clear the Rangers, after the Tom Wilson-McPunchy fit game, are going to put their real roster out there, and they're going for it. So dial it back. Do whatever you need to do to find your zen. Have a scotch. If you're in New York, have some weed. It's legal now. Do some yoga. Do some meditation. Whatever you do to find your zen, do it, and just enjoy the ride of the season. Because it hasn't even started yet. It's too early for this shit. I mean, I think that's like my point too, is like if this is something that you do for a hobby and this is something that you do for fun and it causes you this bunch of angst and unhappiness, like maybe you need to stop doing it. And that's it. Well, also, it's it's such a good point that the season hasn't even started. And I think, you know, look, I think as the season goes on and we'll see how the standings look in November and in December and in January, conversely, how the, the lineup decisions look at that time. You know, are the Rangers in the race? Are they in first place by eight points? And are things going great? Um, you know, look, I get I get a little um, overzealous at times with some of the decisions they make. I think we all did, especially during the Elaine Vigneault years. It's because we care, right? We want the team to win. Uh, I do think that, yeah, probably want to tamper it, you know, t- t- you know, dampen things down a little bit ahead of opening night. If you're a fan and just let it play out. You know, I, I think that... We have to see, and you know, uh, it's hard to quantify. We, we you know, we, we uh, spoke with uh, Jack Frazier, aka J Fresh Hockey. Uh, you know, earlier you'll hear that at the end of this podcast. But it's really hard to kind of quantify the impact a coach has. But that's one of those things you can see with your eyes, right? So let's see what a, a Gerard Gallant coached Rangers team looks like. Um, 
if you put any stock into preseason, which I do not from a results perspective, but more from a are there good habits forming and is the team playing a recognizably good uh, aggressive style of hockey? I think if you watch the last two, two and a half games, you saw exactly that. Um, they are going to be a lot more aggressive on top of their opponents. They're going to get more shots. They're going to have a lot more sustained possession and offensive zone time, which has been very rare around these parts, even going back to before David Quinn. I mean, you know, Dave, I know you always talk about the possession numbers being bad because of Quinn. They were bad under Vigneault, you know, starting in the 15-16 season. They were fine in 13-14 and 14-15. They were an absolute dumpster fire when it came to puck possession and, and um, you know, quality chances from 15-16 onwards. So this has been, you know, over a half decade of passive hockey from this team for a variety of reasons. And I think that changes under Gallant. Look, Gallant had a lot of exp- uh, uh, success with Ryan Reeves in the lineup every day in Vegas, uh, Derek Englund in the lineup every day in Vegas. Those teams were puck possession juggernauts. They, 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 they had great kind of expected goals numbers, and they won a lot of hockey games, which is kind of what you want. You know, it's uh, the, the analytics and fancy stats are nice, uh, and, and they could be good indicators, but also you want to be winning games. And, and his teams do that. Um, so let's see what a Gerard Gallant coach team looks like before we start overreacting about the opening night lineup. And one thing I do want to point out, you said, yeah, we all overreacted with the AV years. That was also six, five, you know, five to seven years ago. Uh, and uh, there's a lot more information and a lot and many more lessons for us to learn over that time and to constantly be doom and gloom over every little thing. It's just tiring. And I would, I would love to think that the people, specifically in my Twitter mentions, over the last 24 hours, you know, let's take a step back and remember this team is still better than last. They're not the Devils all of a sudden. They're not the Sabres all of a sudden because of the Zibanejad contract or because of a one-night lineup decision. So let's, you know, look at, don't miss the forest for the trees. Is basically what I'm trying to get at, and that was a lot of words to say. Just that one thing. Yeah. No. It's. It, I mean, totally. At least you what didn't you open the back? podcast by just saying words like "I'm so happy we could spend a signed No, but that, sorry. For but that's content. something to be. It is something to be happy about, though. And and I think that like as fans, you know, again, he's an easy guy to root for. Uh, he's one of the leaders, not named captain. And again, we can either <laughs> talk about the whole captaincy, you know ridiculousness or not well if you were a betting uh, man you would have lost money on the captain okay yeah, I like let's relax <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I mean but in the end you know you're getting you're getting not just uh, a really really great hockey player and an easy one to root for you know a leader in the locker room uh, a veteran presence a guy who's motivated to win by all accounts um, and also, you know, another thing that I think gets lost in, in a lot of analysis is also just his his style of, of game fits really well with the with the current Ranger team. I mean, he, he, he is their trigger man on the power play and their power play is going to be really probably pretty good again, as it has been for the last three years with him on the team, because he's so lethal from that, you know, left circle with the one timers and the, you know, the shots that he can score on from there that other than Alex Ovechkin. A lot of guys in this league do not have that type of uh, of skill. So, um, and people seem to forget that they just seem to zero in on the 
bad defensive metrics from the last couple of seasons. And that's all they see. And I, and I get that that's part of the picture. And I think that's something we need to watch, especially as this year goes on. And as we get into the fourth, fifth, sixth seasons of that contract, but you know, it's also on Gerard Gallant to, if, if Zabanajad is defensively deficient to then coach around it, you know, don't put him in certain situations or put him with wingers that drive play. Like you said, Dave, um, if, if Lafreniere and, and Kreider aren't getting it done, then you've got to change up the lines. And that's when you'll see them juggle lines, I hope. So, no, look, I mean, I think it's good news. Uh, the cap hit uh, also is, is very good news because it enables the Rangers to, you know, basically still keep most of their core players. Now, if they go out and get one more big piece, they're probably going to have to sacrifice one of Truba or Kreider down the line. But let's not – we don't have to worry about that today. Um, you know, uh, let's talk about, you know, uh, the lineup decisions a little bit more. So I think the I think the one that people really can't wrap their heads around is Libor Hayek. Yeah. Why is he still on the team yeah. is really the question I wrote. I don't have a good answer. I don't know if either of you do. Because the Rangers are trolling us, <laughs> they obviously have a have some kind of fear he's going to be lost on waivers for nothing. And if you can get a fourth round pick for Brett Effing Howden, you can get something for Hayek. It's very clear he is not in their future plans. I think that plays into their roster decisions over the last couple of days. Is they're waiting on a trade with Hayek. Uh, that's the only thing that makes logical sense, right? Or maybe I'm just being stupid, and they yeah. like him, and they're gonna put they're gonna play him over Lundqvist for all I know. I, I mean, I certainly don't think that's gonna happen. I think you know, most likely by Thursday, we are seeing Nils Lundqvist's you know debut uh, next to Patrick Nemeth, with Tenorti coming out of the lineup after you know what everyone's expecting to be a two and a half hour melee against the Caps on Wednesday night. Um, you know. You're probably right, Dave, that they don't want to lose Hayek for nothing. Um, You know, but it's just, I don't understand why they won't cut bait on the Ryan McDonough trade and just throw their hands up and say, we lost the trade. I mean, Jeff Gorton's gone. You know, Chris Drury was probably presumably part of that deal. Um, But, you know, a big part of sports is knowing when to cut your losses and move on. And Hayek is certainly in that category now to me. And there's something to be said for addition by subtraction. I know the Rangers are fearful of losing him for quote-unquote nothing. But if you really want to win now, then you got to cut bait. And I know we kind of went on a tangent on Libor Hayek. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe, I mean, maybe again, he sells it's, the Rangers it, car insurance. I don't know. <laughs> I mean... The other the other piece of news was Kravtsov not making the team going down to the AHL, but most people think he'll be back up within a couple of weeks, maybe maybe you know by, by November certainly. Um, but what do you, what do you make of Kravtsov going to the uh, to the AHL and not making the uh, the team out of camp, Dave? Another thing that had way too much overreaction. This is again waivers and opening night boxing match against Tom Wilson related. They are waiting on a deal for Hayek, I believe, or Julian Gauthier, who had a phenomenal camp. And perhaps it's just a matter of they know Gauthier will 100% be claimed on waivers. Hayek, I don't understand why people think he will be claimed. I don't think he will be, but I'm also incredibly biased. Um, 
But Krasov is going to be back, if not by Thursday, then by next week. It's it's just silly that we're having this much this much of a sky is falling moment over a kid that is going to be on the roster. He will be there. This is a temporary, for all we know, it's a paperwork move to right. uh, just to have the opening night boxing match. And then he's probably going to, him and Niels Lundqvist are going to be in the lineup on opening night at the Garden. And that's me on record saying well, that The Tuesday only night. one that matters. Yes. Love it. Well, and another facet to this, I think, which which you were, we were talking about earlier was, you know, Sammy Blay, right? I mean, another guy who had an outstanding camp, I think, you know, based on his preseason performances, won over the hearts of quite a few Rangers fans. Now, the, the fans will, a lot of fans may be skeptical of him for a long time. Obviously, he's not, probably not going to turn out to be as good a player as Pavel Buchnevich. And because they are, you know, we're part of the same trade, they are kind of linked forever and ever. But... Um, you know, Sammy Blay won the third line spot, right? He was sort of penciled into a fourth line role, and I think played his way up the lineup, which is a good, which is a good thing. And I think people are kind of interpreting that as a bad thing. At least that's how I'm kind of reading it with some of the you know kind of discourse I've seen in the last you know few hours with these roster moves. But you know, I mean, Becky, what are your thoughts on kind of Sammy Blay and also just in general? The way they're approaching this uh, opening night, which is, uh, you know, by the time people are listening to this tomorrow, Wednesday night. Well, I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. So, okay, let's picture it a different way. Sammy Blay gets sent down to the AHL. Then you have, and I keep calling them Twitter warriors because I really think they are, um, these people bitching and complaining that we traded Pavel Buchnevich for someone who's in the AHL now. So like you really can't win. I think from what I saw, and I didn't want, I didn't see every game. I was at a wedding on Saturday night, and I missed that riot and drafting, <laughs> drafting a fantasy team during another game. But I saw the play, um, the goal where he like went around three guys, and like yeah, that was beautiful. What about that could possibly make you sad? Like why would you watch that? know that that person is on your team and be like, wow, I am very upset right now. Like, I need to talk to the manager. Like, I just, I don't understand it. So, yeah, he out, if he played his way into that spot, then that's awesome. And if you have Julian Gauthier, who had a great camp also, playing his way to a spot, then that's also awesome. And if you have Vitaly Kravtsov, who would have been stuck on the fourth line, and then people complaining that, like, he shouldn't be on the fourth line because – He's not going to get enough minutes. And why isn't he playing on the power play? Like you like you literally cannot win. And if you take two steps back, you realize that this is actually a great thing. Like this is a great problem to have too much talent where I think you have a right to be kind of like skeptical is truly like Hayek. I'm not concerned about um, like Tenorti. That's truly for the punching face game. Um, But if you... If if Hayek's not a person, if Dave's premonition is not true and, like, Hayek is still on the team and still active, then, okay, fine. Like, I'll concede that that's a little bit sus and maybe something that we don't want to be too supportive of. You know, the other thing that I think people don't take into account. So, so yeah, it's it's it obviously is Tom Wilson. It's the Caps. On the heels of everything that happened at the end of last year, it's been a very convenient narrative to continue to come back to. 
the NHL put that game on the schedule. There are going to be a lot of people watching it on national TV on Wednesday night. I think it'll be a great game, honestly. I think it's going to have a great atmosphere. I think both teams will be up for it. It probably will be a little chaotic at times. I'm sure there'll be some goals and, uh, you know, offensive action amidst all the the brawls and scuffles. Um, but, but, but more broadly speaking, I think one thing that people don't uh, take into account, as I was saying, is that coaches do look at the opponent and they do play matchups. You know, this is part of being a coach, and especially in hockey where there's only so much you can do. You know, it's not football or even basketball where you can script up plays, you know, when there's a million timeouts and you can really control the pieces on the chessboard. This is a read and react game. So you put out a lineup uh, and lines that you think match up well with the other teams. And yes, look, I know that uh, nobody with a straight face can argue that like Jared Tenorti uh, is a better hockey player than you know, wh- whoever else the Rangers might be able to put out there. And he's better than Hayek. I mean, he's better than Hayek. Well, he is, be- he is He is. better than Hayek. No, it's true. He's he's measurably better than Hayek. Um, and Barkley Goodrow and Sammy Blay and and whoever else is in the bottom six is way better than Brett Howden, which is a big part of the reason the Rangers are going to be a better team this year. But I think, you know, forget Tom Wilson. They're playing the matchup against the Caps by, by dressing this lineup. They're, they're going big. They're going heavy. They're going to try and match the Caps kind of physical style. That's the way the Caps like to play. And I think they feel like they they just want to go into the game that way. We'll see if it works. Um, I, 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 for one, am not too concerned about opening night. I do think as we get into the season, if these types of decisions are being made, then, then you know we rightfully have some questions to ask. Um, all right, so because this is a season preview episode, um, I do want to sort of get into a little bit of a larger picture view of things. So really quick for both of you guys, Becky, go first. Um do you think the Rangers are a playoff team this year? And if so, why? Um, honestly, I think they're on the fringe. And I'm going to go with yes, because I'm feeling good vibes here. And I just, I'm going to bring this positivity into everything I do right now as it, as it relates to hockey. Like, I don't want to go in with a negative attitude. I don't want to go in with too high expectations. I think they're a fringe team. I think they're going to make it because it makes me happy to think that way. And, yeah, I think they're going to definitely play meaningful hockey. That's that's for sure. I don't think it's going to be like a complete dumpster fire. Unless someone gets hurt. But I don't even want to put that out there. Dave, what do you think? Assuming they stay relatively injury-free and we don't have the drama of last year's team where you couldn't even make half that crap up, this team not only makes the playoffs, they finish third in the division, and they win a playoff round. I'm staying consistent with my bold predictions. Yeah, and 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 maybe just expand on that for people who might not have read the read the post table. Why do you think that? What what do you see from this team that that you know they can you know convincingly make the playoffs and win a round? For starters, if you haven't read the post, it's available at blueseedblogs.com and just com edu and .info. Uh, um, the, there's a lot of addition by subtraction like we spoke about, but I think the two things that the models don't account for and that people are not accounting for enough are the coaching change this, and with that coming the systems change and... Just the depth. The Rangers have a viable bottom six now, and they have a, an actual third pair that they can use. You know, there, there's no more 
Libor Hayek and I don't even not Brendan Smith. Who was the other? And Anthony Batetta. You know, that was the third oh, pair yeah. for God knows how long last year. Like the Rangers can trot out three solid pairs and four solid lines. That matters. And you look at a team like the Penguins where I don't even know who their fourth line is anymore. You know, the only team with that kind of depth right now is the Islanders and maybe uh, the Canes, maybe the Caps, but they're also an age-defiant team right now where Ovechkin's about 107 years old. So And injured. And injured. So uh, it's just there's a lot going into it. And also the models have Shesterkin as a two- Point oh war player, and he is worth well more than that. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I've seen he's top five, top ten in in most you know sort of yeah. rankings, whether those are traditional rankings by scouts or fantasy rankings. I mean, that, yeah, people are really they're sleeping underselling that impact. They really are sleeping on Shesterkin, and I'm sure we'll talk to him, talk about him, you know, much more throughout the season. Um, I mean, I'm with you both. I think the team makes the playoffs. I think they're going to be right in and around. You know, 98, 99, 100 points. That's usually what it takes to get in now. I mean, it used to be that a 100-point season was like a generational achievement for a hockey team. But the way that standings are now with the three-point games, um, you know, a lot of teams do get to 100. Um, it'll depend on the matchup, how far they go in the, in the playoffs. But I, I really do see them making it. And I think I think those off-season additions really are going to be the difference. And I, and I, I know a lot of people... Um, don't want to believe that because it feeds into sort of some, you know, antiquated, you know, uh, way of looking at hockey. But they brought in, like we talked about on last week's episode, you know, they just brought in some guys who are uh, true pros. They'll be adults in the room and they're good players. I mean, you know, I think Patrick Nemeth, another guy people are sleeping on, he should be a stabilizing presence on the, on the third pair. Like you said, Dave, a much better player than Potato or Libor Hayek, or even Brendan Smith, who was who was really pretty solid and did you know did a lot for a guy and, and was asked to do a lot by by his coaches. Um, but but Robert Patrick Nemeth is going to be somewhere right now. You're I know. I'm sorry, Robert. <laughs> I am not shit talking Brendan Smith. That <laughs> is not, not what is I happening kid, right I kid. now. Um, but no, I, you know, I think they do have those complementary pieces will make a difference, and this is a league and a sport that is, you know, it's decided on the margins. It's a salary cap league. The We know that the Rangers have the top end talent. Goal scoring has not been an issue with this team for a long time now. You know, pretty much since the end of the Tortorella era, this team has always scored plenty of goals. It was how effectively can they protect the guy who's keeping the goals out of their net because they left their goalies out to dry. Uh, Lundqvist mostly, but even, you know, Shesterkin and Georgiev the last couple of years. Um, and that was really the reason that they, that they weren't, in the playoffs and they they weren't really competitive that if that changes this year, then they'll, they'll be safely in. Um, all right. We are going to chat with uh, Jack Frazier in just a bit here, guys, but we do have a couple minutes left. What do we make of the whole captaincy debacle? Obviously, Becky, you were uh, rightfully characterizing this as maybe the greatest troll job of all time. Um, but, but in all seriousness, you know, they, they named six alternate captains after going into camp saying, we're going to name a captain before opening night. And, you know, by the way, being very public about the fact that the players in their exit interviews said they wanted to name a captain. So why do we think they reversed course here? And, and does it matter? I mean, the Rangers not naming a captain is like a tradition unlike any other, to be totally honest. It's it's just the worst. It's like I said on Monday, um, 
I guess that McDonough really losing his shit once he got the the C on his sweater really messed up the Rangers because this has been like this is just too long. Like let's let's get a move on, guys. It's and Rob, I know that you said this too that like it's just like psychological warfare for whoever does wind up getting the C. If you keep on making such a big deal out of it, it's going to be a bigger deal than it needs to be. Like they have more than enough leaders now. If they have six people that they can consider alternates, I'm pretty sure they could look to one of them to lead. Um, I don't know. I don't think this can even be real. Like, to be totally honest, I don't think that they could go out there with six alternates. I didn't. I don't even think that's like in the hockey laws or rules or whatever. Well, like, in a, on a given night, it has to be three. But I don't know if they even said if how they're going to rotate so them or if it's just going to be it's like, it's, three random players every night. Like, are they going to draw straws? I mean, it's it is. It's a, it's, it's a, insane. It's, it's like ridiculous. Dean Strang looking at the evidence against that guy and making a murderer and being like, this is insane. Like, that is how <laughs> I feel at this very moment. So I am praying to God that, like, on Thursday – when they're doing all the announcements at MSG, they're like, and our captain, whoever. I don't give a shit who it is at this point. It could be <laughs> Patrick Nemeth. I don't care. Just, like, give me a damn captain already. Like, we've been waiting. And your it's captain, ridiculous. number 25, Libor Hayek. That's Dave, why he's get not the hell waivers. out of here. <laughs> That's why he's not on waivers. Dave, I'm waking your child up. <laughs> I will. I will drive to Jersey and I will throw a bottle, full bottle of scotch at you. I'll drink that bottle of scotch. Uh, Dave, any thoughts on the captain thing before we uh, wrap this up? I honestly just think that the Rangers were about to assign a captain and the keyboard got stuck. <laughs> on the capital A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I- I'm with Becky. I actually think they might do a little surprise opening night uh, unveiling. And we'll see. This podcast will be up for 48 hours, and then I could be proven right or proven wrong. I do think it adds pressure to whoever eventually gets it. I think they're treating this like it's a very – and it is a prestigious thing, and it obviously does mean something to the players, but they put so much extra weight on it that it's making the the, the job for the next captain – very, very difficult. And Ryan McDonough is not the only guy to str- uh, in Ranger history to struggle with that. Brian Leach famously, um, you know, his play really, uh, you know, took a uh, kind of went on a little bit of a downswing after he was named captain. A- again, you know, those were not great Ranger teams. That was like the end of the 90s era when it started getting into the kind of the black hole of Ranger hockey there. But um, yeah, I- they should have just named someone the day after they traded McDonough. Just they should have just given it to Kreider or someone else, another veteran on the team, just to have a placeholder, so it wouldn't be such a big deal. But um, we'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. I mean, I think you know, if nothing else, it was a, a pretty amazing troll job by the Rangers. Um, guys, any final thoughts before we uh, we get into our interview with Jack Frazier? Any predictions for opening night? Let's go, Rangers. Uh, any any predictions? What, what uh, do we so, say? Opening night prediction. Let's do it. Is it. opening against night against, okay against Washington? Yeah, let's do both. Let's do both games. Give me predictions. Is there an over under for the penalty minutes in on BetMGM or anything else? One thousand percent, and I will have to look that up and tweet that out. We gotta bet the over. Like yes. we we gotta bet. Like all invest in one Bitcoin and bet the over. Okay. So you're betting a lot of penalty minutes, and who wins the game on Wednesday? Oh, Washington. Dave. 
Washington yeah, I agree. wins. Becky, who do you Wait, have? I have Washington okay. winning the game. The Rangers are way too and then focused they on Tom Wilson. Mm-hmm. And then do they bounce back and win on Thursday night at home? Three nothing yeah. shutout. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, I'll go with an overtime loss on on Wednesday. I think they'll at least get a point. And then, yeah, I think a win on opening night against Dallas uh, in a much less emotional and entertaining game. All right. Um, after this, we will you will hear our interview with Jack Frazier, J Fresh Hockey. Joining us now on Live from the Blue Seats, one of the best and brightest minds in the ever-growing world of hockey analytics. You may know him by his Twitter handle, JFreshHockey, although he just told us not to worry about calling him that. He is also the lead analytics writer for Elite Prospects. Jack Frazier joins the show. Jack, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, you know, for people who may not know you, you know, obviously our our fans probably, uh, to varying degrees, may or may not be sort of deeply embedded in the world of hockey analytics, especially on on Twitter, which is, I think, where we see most of your work. Uh, Just give us a little bit of background. Tell us kind of, you know, how you got into uh, what you do, uh, you know, around, you know, hockey analytics and the, you know, the visualizations that that I think you become known for. Yeah, it was really kind of a product of the pandemic. Uh, You know, stats and and data science and all that isn't really my field at all. Uh, But it kind of came about pretty naturally from just trying to learn software and and gain some skills uh, at the end of my grad degree. And then with the pandemic, everything kind of got slowed down. So I had a chance to get into it a little bit more and uh, started doing things like writing and posting stuff on Twitter and things like that. And it's, it's kind of blown up ever since. So it has been a pretty big blessing, kind of how things have gone in just the past year and a half. But uh, uh, certainly there's no complaints on my end. It's been uh, a, a lot of fun kind of getting to know smart people in the hockey space and, and you know, have a chance to talk about these things that have always interested me. One of the things that we're not going to ask you to do, I promise, is, you know, sort of litigate the stats versus eye test debate. But one of the things that I really like about sort of the way you've positioned yourself you kind of say it on your uh, Substack page, you come out right out and say it, you know, you try and bridge stats and the eye test. So I want it's kind of a two part question. I want to sort of ask, you know, how do you do that? How, how do you go about doing that? And I think the other question that a, a lot of fans, you know, are wondering about is, are NHL teams doing a good job of this? Obviously, they all have analytics departments now to some degree, but are they actually making that information, you know, work for them? Well, you know, in the first case, I think the answer is, you know, it's hard work pretty much. You know, you got to put the time in. You got to put the effort in to actually watch the tape in front of you, do it in a focused way that is looking for answers to questions that aren't necessarily answered by just looking at the stats by themselves. Uh, And it goes the same thing the other way. Uh, If you're thinking about these questions from an eye test perspective, you have to look for stats that will maybe challenge that perspective or support what you see. Or, you know, just think about things critically in, in general. And, you know, I think the reason that you don't see it necessarily quite as often as you might expect is that there's just a lot of time involved in it. You have to really break things down at a granular level, which is why I think kind of the empty space of the pandemic was where I was able to, you know, start to get that work done and then get into some good habits. Uh, you know, in terms of whether NHL teams are doing it, uh, that is certainly what they're trying to do. Uh, I, I think the ones that have well-stocked analytics department. Uh, and I, I think increasingly the issue or, or the most important thing is kind of communication between the more traditional and more statistically focused aspects of these departments. You know, if they can find ways to integrate their analytics department 
with their scouting staff, you know, especially their pro scouts, uh, then I think that they can get a lot of good stuff done. And we've seen teams like Colorado, for example, that have brought in some guys who have, you know, had really good reputations analytically uh, and maybe didn't quite have the value around the league that you might expect from that, uh, who have been huge successes. You know, Devon Taves obviously being the headline example. So I, I would expect that you're probably going to see teams, you know, especially as owners, see teams like the Lightning and the Avalanche be successful. Wouldn't surprise me to see more teams investing in it. Uh, when it comes down to it, it really is kind of integrating the more traditional hockey minds, the scouts, uh, into this new kind of, you know, more holistic way of viewing players and, and figuring out who you should be targeting. Yeah, so, uh, you know, now I want to switch over to kind of the Rangers. You know, you mentioned two, two of the top teams in the league. Probably no surprise that, you know, their success is correlated with, you know, pretty deep investments in, in analytics. Um, you know, just from a, a Ranger perspective, you know, I, I don't think we know very much about their analytics department. They're known for sort of playing that stuff tightly to the vest. But um, your model seems to like them this year. It's, you know, it, it seems that, you know, you kind of have them right on the cusp of a playoff berth. I think one of the standings projections I read from about a week ago had them at 97 points, which would be right on the fringe of playoff position. Um, maybe, you know, could you explain, especially maybe to, uh, you know, without giving away the secret sauce, right? Maybe explain to us, you know, how your models model works and why it does like the Rangers so much this year. No, you know what? If I'm going to parade it around on Twitter, I feel like I do have an obligation to give away some of that secret sauce. Uh, otherwise, I'm just putting stuff out there unaccountably. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, so... You know, essentially what it comes down to is, you know, it, it's kind of a player level model. It's not kind of a team level one. So, you know, you're plugging in essentially what the Rangers depth chart looks to be this season. And you're trying to create as accurate a prediction, you know, an estimate of the value that they're going to bring to the team next year. That involves going back through their results from the past three seasons, you know, weighing them in a way that historically has proved to be as predictive as possible, factoring in things like, you know, if a player has had a small sample, maybe, you know, minimizing the aggressiveness of those results. Uh, if you have, you know, players who are younger, who are older, it means applying, you know, an age curve that, you know, based on kind of league average aging effects, uh, maybe projects improvement. And I think that that's a particularly well relevant one to the Rangers because they're such a young team. So if you just have a projection, projection that's based on, you know, the past two years of Capo Caco, you know, I, as, as I, you know, wrote about pretty extensively in the past. Taco had a, a horrible rookie season. He had a, a quite better sophomore season. You know, is, is he going to be the average of those two seasons or is he going to grow from here? Uh, you know, there are some models that might see him as being an average of those past two. Uh, mine sees growth in, growth in his future. The same for Lafreniere. You know, the same even for Adam Fox, who even though he's arguably the best defenseman in the NHL, he's still only, you know, I think he's turning 23. So uh, those are all kind of the factors that go into putting the projection together. Uh, there's obviously, for any standings projection, whether it's made by analytics or gut feeling or eye test or whatever, there's a, a huge amount of uncertainty. You know, even the best ones are usually off by an average of, you know, seven or eight standing points per team, uh, no matter who's making them. So, I think the real takeaway there from where the Rangers are and the Metro in general is that it really is a complete crapshoot. You know, there are seven teams in that division that you could realistically say are have a very good chance of being in the playoffs. And uh, 
I don't think there's really one or two teams that stand out really above the other ones. So it will be really exciting to watch, and I think the Rangers have, you know, about as good a chance of it as any team of making the playoffs. So, Jack, one of the things that I've been really saying for a couple of years is uh, that coaching is very tough to really predict in some of these models. And it's not from a... uh, from a coaching getting the best out of the players or anything that we can't really quantify. It's more out of a systems standpoint. And you mentioned the uncertainty with some of the models. And, you know, for example, your model has the Rangers at 97 points, whereas Hockey Viz has them, I think, at 88 points. And one of those factors that I think gets a little left out sometimes or we can't really quantify for it yet is coaching systems specifically for the Rangers going from David Quinn who basically gave up the blue line by design there was very little pressure in the neutral zone the opposition was able to gain speed basically from goal line to blue line and the Rangers defenders were on their heels to a Gerard Gallant kind of model where it's more of an aggressive forecheck either a 1-2-2 or a 2-1-2 with an aggressive neutral zone presence and stepping up at the blue line. Uh, How does something like that factor into the model if it's quantifiable at all? And is there room for hope as we kind of aggregate all the models to see where the Rangers are going to finish that even the best models may be underestimating the Rangers? Yeah, I I think that that's a perfect example of what I was talking about when I said, you know, the really hard work comes from what happens when you get the model in front of you and you have to add that interpretation aspect because, you know, really, you know, there are, there are models that try to to include coaching as a quantifiable thing. Uh, Like you mentioned, uh, the hockey viz model uh, does have an attempt to map coaching impact. Uh, Mine, mine doesn't. I'm I'm a little skeptical of whether that's something that can really be modeled or transferred from team to team, especially uh, which means ultimately that when you see those Rangers projections, you know, they are in almost every case leaving out the move from being a Gerard Gallant coach team. And, you know, that's an area where, you know, you, for example, like you just brought that expertise, that knowledge of how the Rangers have been playing and how they might play in the future uh, to the table. You know, I think that that's just a perfect example of somewhere where you can take a look at these projections that exist right now and say, okay, well, I think that there's room for, maybe a little bit of extra development there uh, with a coaching change. Uh, and, and like you said, you know, that's a perfect example how, how passive they played essentially everyone on that team, except for Adam Fox when it came to defending the blue line. You know, that could be a, a pretty huge change to their blue line uh, this season, and it could lead to uh, an increase in results for a lot of their defensemen. And, you know, I, I already have their defensemen judged very well, but if they can add even that other aspect, then, you know, who knows, maybe that... 97 points becomes 100 points. Uh, on the other hand, if playing more aggressively like that leads to more rush chances against, you know, maybe they're getting walked a bit or maybe they're not quite ready for that change. You know, maybe it goes down to 93 points or 92 points. You know, that this really does come to that kind of interpretive level that I don't think you can really necessarily take into a quantifiable model. And imagine what the Rangers' points projections will be once Jared Tenorti is not in the lineup on a regular basis. Right. Well, that was honestly a big factor for me was that the Rangers for the past couple of seasons have been kind of shooting themselves in the foot with some of the personnel that they've been putting out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for example, I think two of the maybe bottom five players in the league by this model 
uh, are Brett Howden and Libor Hayek. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise to anybody listening to this. Essentially, re- removing those players from the Rangers' depth chart, you know, essentially rocketed them up. I, I think that a thing that does kind of get underestimated by people is, you know, you, you, it's kind of intuitive that when you get to the top of the league, you know, the talent increases exponentially. You know, you have, uh, you know, a steady increase of players, and then suddenly you're going, you know, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon. You know, it, it is a, the, an impact at a much higher level than you're getting for any of the players in that kind of second or third tier. Uh, and, and I think that some analysis work uh, that, that has been done recently has suggested that the same is true at the bottom end, where, you know, there are players who get, you know, significant enough NHL minutes whether it's, you know, even on a third line or a bottom pair, you're still playing, you know, a, a good chunk of the game. Uh, who can affect things, you know, just as negatively? So if you essentially turn over that part of the lineup, even if you're making moves that some people might not consider optimal, you know, even if people don't like the Barclay Goodrow contract or, you know, even Ryan Reeves or Sammy Blaze or, you know, However, many of these guys that I think that they've been, you know, justifiably criticized for targeting, uh, ultimately, as long as the guys that you're replacing in the lineup are a lot worse than them, which I think is pretty much the case, uh, then you can factor in a decent improvement just by not having them in the lineup. So I think that that's a big and kind of understated part of how the Rangers find themselves improving right now. Addition by subtraction is a very real thing. <laughs> So obviously, uh, you know, we're recording this on Monday. On Sunday, the uh, Rangers extended Mika Zibanejad, and you had a really interesting take on it. I know you shared his player card, and I think you called it, like, the strangest analytical profile, which I was reading through, and I'm a huge Mika fan, just completely transparent, but I think it's really interesting, your take on it. I know you said that you probably would have traded him, but seeing that they didn't, um, what do you think of the move in general? And where do you think this can be beneficial to the Rangers um, from your viewpoint? So yeah, I think the way that it's beneficial to the Rangers is that Mika Zibanejad is a really good occupier. Yeah. Uh, you know, even with kind of the, the critiques and the, the issues that, you know, the bottle takes to them, it still does kind of ultimately see him as being... Uh, a top-level player, you know, a, a first-line center. Uh, so I don't think there's really any doubt that the Rangers are better off with him uh, than they are, you know, if he wasn't on the team or if, you know, they had made a, a poor trade moving him or something like that. You know, I think where some of the issues come in are more just kind of the fundamental risks about signing a player to a contract like that at Zibanejad's age, especially – I think what surprised me about it is that, you know, how connected the Rangers have been constantly to rumors around, you know, real elite number one centers recently, uh, which was making me think that maybe they were seeing Zibanejad as being kind of more of the number two guy that they wanted in that lineup, or maybe they didn't really see a long-term future with him. It, it does kind of seem possibly like they kind of settled for Zibanejad here as being their number one center of the future. Uh, I don't obviously don't have any insider bona fides, so I can't speak to whether that's been true. That's just the vibe that I get. Uh, but, you know, generally, I, I will always be skeptical about, you know, a player who I think in Zibanejad's case 
had such a outlier season as he did in 1920 uh, when he shot 20% and he was on pace for like 110 points or whatever it was. Uh, you know, I think he pretty predict- predictably regressed to the mean this past year. And, and I don't know whether that player that he was last year was really an $8.5 million player. So I, I do have a bit of skepticism about the move, but, uh, you know, like I said, very strange player analytically. I'll be interested to see what he does in a season, considering how last year obviously was a little bit, you know, uh, as my colleague Ryan Lambert would say, fake. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and he had COVID. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're looking at those stats on that card where he's being rated as being, you know, a, a black hole offensively as in terms of shots going to the slot, and his defensive impacts are, are extra, extra poor. You know, I, I would really want to see more from him this season to, to see what exactly he looks like now that he's recovered. The, the only thing here is that obviously the Rangers wanted to get quick to the punch and not drag this out, which means that they don't really have the opportunity to see another full healthy season from him here. So uh, interesting player for sure. Every Rangers fan that I've talked to about him seems uh, totally enamored with him. So. Uh, I, I guess we'll just have to see what happens this yeah, year and, yeah. and in the future with him. Clearly, you missed yeah. out on Rangers Twitter today. That was uh, <laughs> a, a little bit upset man. with the. Co- oh my god! I, I, I love our. I, I love the everybody that reads the blog listens to us. But man, the reaction to that contract was a little bit absurd. And uh, I have the player card up for those that can't see. Um, his war percent is ninety percent when. Jack Eichel's for comparison is 95. Um, Eichel grades out better as a driver, whereas Benajad is almost a pure shooter. And so that's just the comparison. And, you know, like Jack, you said, the issue is Zabanajad's 28. Going to be, this is age 28 season. He turns 29 at the end of the season. Uh, does, uh, I'm a little going a little off script here, Rob. Sorry. Uh, does th- does the model really account for aging curves? Uh, how can we not necessarily project out, but how can we, I guess, prepare for the eventual downfall of Zibanejad? Does the finishing percent usually go first, or is it something uh, like where like we see with puck driving, which is already a little rough, kind of taking a bit of a deeper dive yeah that's an interesting question so in this case the projection on there uh doesn't factor in age and it certainly doesn't factor in what's going to happen uh, after the season it really is kind of a, a best estimate of what he's going to be uh this coming season uh that being said i, I think that that's a, a real interesting uh question there in terms of what we can expect to kind of go first uh on average it is kind of does seem surprisingly and, and this really surprised me that that finishing is kind of one of the things that does seem to drop off quite quickly. Uh, I, you know, that's something that I think is worth looking into more because that, that definitely was kind of against what I expected to be the case. Uh, but I do think that you kind of see a bit of a, a linear decrease in, uh, well, I guess not linear, it'd be exponential because it does kind of get more severe as you get into your thirties, uh, offensively and, and to a lesser extent defensively as well. Um, in the case of the advantage, I'd, like I said, because of how, regular last season was and and i think in some cases how much of an outlier it was compared to what we had seen from him previously uh, i would not be surprised to see him have his underlying numbers those even strength offense and defense numbers bump back up this season uh, it would actually probably surprise me a bit more if they didn't uh, in which case 
you know, I think that you're giving yourself a higher baseline to, to, to decrease by. But, you know, again, I, I think something that does need to be said is that, you know, like you said, that 90th percentile, you know, compared to that 95th percentile uh, for Eichel, you know, a lot of that is being carried by that 2019-20 season, you know, where his finishing was completely off the charts and, and which I think he pretty obviously regressed back to the mean this season. And I think it's more likely that he'll be around a 12 to 14 percent shooter than that he's going to be a 20 percent shooter again. So there is kind of a lot going on with him. You know, like I said in the, in the, in the tweet, it is kind of one of the more complicated uh, players uh, profiles that I, I have seen in a while. And I think we'll probably get more clarity on exactly what, you know, Mika's advantage that is, you know, according to these models as we get deeper into the season. One more uh, quick one for you, Jack, before we let you go. Uh, and I will put you on the spot just a little bit here. Um, who do you have coming out of the East? Who do you have coming out of the West? And who's your ultimate uh, Stanley Cup champion at the end of the season in June 2022? Oh, man. I haven't even really thought about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it is hard to not go the super safe route and just say uh, Colorado and Tampa. Uh, you know, I, I am I'm still a, a big believer in Colorado. <laughs> Uh, even if people are starting to think of them as being like the, the Leafs of the West. Uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe Vegas, if Vegas can swing a crazy deal for Jack Eichel or something, that might be a, a good one. But in the East, I, I think it really is a case where the Metro really doesn't have one team that jumps out at me as much as I would like to say that it's the Penguins. And, you know, with there's a lot of question marks around Toronto and Boston with their goaltending and Florida with their goaltending. You know, Tampa is kind of really the safe bet in the East. So the uh, the uh, stats guy in me is going to have to go with the uh, the safe Colorado Tampa pick there. And then is it a Tampa three peat, or does Colorado get that cup that I think we all think is coming in the next couple of years? Oh no, we're getting a Jack Johnson Stanley Cup baby. Oh man, <laughs> I know you're I know you're loving that. That'll be your new uh, profile oh, photo, probably. God. Absolutely. Uh, if Jack Johnson wins a Stanley Cup, I'll change it to my picture, uh, my profile picture too. You're on the I don't record. Think we'll be alone. <laughs> uh, Jack, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, everybody, go follow Jack on Twitter at jfreshhockey. Check out his work at Elite Prospects. Jack, you've got a Substack and a Patreon. Anything else you want to plug before you go? I think you pretty much covered it. I might have one too many hustles. We'll, uh, we'll have to think about that. Yeah, I'm a subscriber to your Patreon, and I got to admit, I love it. You know, the war builder that I was looking at before, it actually plugged in the Rangers lineup from this morning that lit everybody on fire. So I, I was happy to be able to do that and I have to plug in each player uh, at on my own. So if you're on the fence, I highly recommend it. It's easy to work with. It's a great visual uh, yeah, that's all I got. Cool. Jack, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review, as it helps other fans find the show. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and check out blueseatblogs.com the longest-running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We'll see you next week.